Today, we are continuing with our prophetic series of messages. And we've come now to the event we call the rapture. This is when Jesus comes for his bride. Now, of course, many people say that this doctrine uh, is not biblical. There are many who, people who are... Uh, don't believe in the doctrine of the church, of the rapture. In fact, they believe there are more people who do not believe in the rapture than those who do. And one of the reasons they come up is because the word rapture is never found in the Bible. Well, it depends on which Bible you read. Because the Latin Vulgate, which is one of the best-known translations, in fact, many other translations are based on the Latin Vulgate, uses the word raptura. And so it is found in the Bible, depending on what, what Bible you read. It's like the word Trinity. That's not found either, right? But the teachings are there, and so that's what we believe. I like to call this event, Blast Off to Glory. Actually, I got that phrase from uh, a Bahamian that I heard preaching in Moody Church in the 1950s. That's right. Boy, 1954. Uh, what was his name, Frank? Um, Nottage, T.J., T, was it T.J.? B.J., B.J. Nottage. He was an outstanding brethren preacher, but he preached all over the, all over the world. And I remember when I got up there, he, he used that phrase, blast off the glory, and I never forgot it, because that's what it's going to be. If you believe in the rapture, it's a blast off to glory. Now, actually, this doctrine of the rapture is undoubtedly the most weird and bizarre doctrine in Scripture. Now listen carefully to what I'm saying. It's weird. It's bizarre. Nobody in their right mind would believe this thing if it didn't come from the Word of God. I believe that's probably one of the reasons why more people don't believe in it than those who do believe in it. Do you remember some time ago the Heaven's Gate cult? The founders were Marshall H. Applewhite and Bonnie Nettles. They believed that they were the two end-time witnesses. And they came up with this theory in 1997. You remember that's when the Haley Comet was coming around? That behind that comet was a spaceship. And this spaceship was coming back for them, the true believers. And we would be trans they would be transported spiritually because they had to die first. And you remember they committed suicide. I think it was 39 of them or so. They had a larger group than that before, but it dwindled down because of the way the direction was going. But they had this belief that this spaceship was coming, and their spirits would be received by the spaceship, somehow beaming them up. And then they will go to live in the glorious land that they were looking forward to. And isn't that weird? Isn't that weird? That's bizarre. Well, here's what some Christians believe. They believe that Jesus will come out of heaven, hover in the sky without anyone seeing him then Jesus will beam up all Christians, both who are alive and who have died in Christ, with the blast of a trumpet. 
In the process, their bodies will be instantaneously transformed into a supernatural body. And that body will be transported through the atmosphere and the stratosphere into the very presence of God in the third heavens. Where no spaceship has ever gone before. Now, is that weird or not? Sure, it's weird. And you've got to face that. And the only reason we would ever come up with stuff like this is if we believe the Bible. Unless we were like the apple white people. Right? Blast off the glory. Now, remember, this came about the side of the rapture long before Buck Rogers. Anybody know who Buck Rogers was? A little too young to remember that, right? Actually, they have a Buck Rogers today. He just flew over the English Channel. Remember that guy who flew over the English Channel? That was Buck Rogers. First one who had a rocket on his back that fly. Star Wars, remember that? Mr. Spock and Scotty? Beam me up, Scotty. The rapture, the rapture, the rapture. Christian sci-fi was in existence long before that. Maybe that's where they got the idea from. I don't know. But I want you to think about this now. This is what many of you believe. Why would you put your faith in such a weird and bizarre doctrine? I hope it's because you believe the Bible teaches it. Most of you here probably do that because you've never really met somebody who said that's not true. But we're going to look at the Bible because we here at Calvary Bible Church do believe in the rapture. We take a position that is called a pre-trib and a pre-rapture position. That means we believe that Jesus will come before the tribulation and before the millennium. Again, as I say, not, every people, not everybody believes that, but we here happen to believe that. Now, there's some tweaks as we go along, mind you, but that's the basic doctrine. So we're going to be looking at today because we teach it without apology. We believe in the rapture, that Jesus Christ will come to receive his bride, members of the incredible body of Christ unto himself. That's what we're going to be looking at. Now, one of the things I want to begin with is to explain that the rapture is next, the next event in God's prophetic schedule for the church. Remember what I said now, for the church. The rapture is the next prophetic event scheduled as far as the church is concerned. Not Israel, not the world, but as far as the church is concerned. In other words, nothing has to be fulfilled before this event takes place. That's why we call the rapture, or this aspect of the rapture, the eminency of his return. The eminency of his return. Now, eminent here does not necessarily mean soon. That's how many of us think when we hear about the eminent return of Christ. We said it means that he might soon return. It does not mean that. It means any moment, even now. But it also means any moment, even 10 years from now. It could be now. It could be 2,000 years. You say, boy, you're putting it away. No, I'm just telling you what eminent means. We see in a moment that Paul believed it was eminent, but Paul has gone 
for over 2,000 years. But he believed it was eminent. Let me look at a, give you a few scriptures that illustrate the truth of the any moment return of Jesus Christ. The Greek word that is used is ingus. And one of its forms is used to describe the timing of the event. Usually it's translated at hand. He is at hand. Let me give you one instance of the use of this word. It's in the context of Jesus' betrayal by Judas. And this is what Matthew says in verse 45 of Matthew 26. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is coming, or the hour is at hand, rather. The hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is what? At hand. While he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came up, accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs, who came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Notice the phrase, at hand. The at hand in this instance is referring to an event that was taking place at the moment the words was being spoken. Do you see that? At hand refers to an event that was taking place as Jesus was speaking. So at hand, any moment, could mean right now while I'm speaking, by the use of this word. <clears throat> Look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. Peter's talking about the time when the earth will be renovated by fire. He says, the end of all things is what? At hand. Therefore, be sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Now, we know that it's been over 2,000 years since Peter wrote these scriptures. And at hand, event hasn't taken place yet. So here we see in one instance, at hand can mean it's happening right now. It's taking place right now. The same word can be used to talk about an at hand that's going to be 2,000 or more years later on. Now look at James chapter 5, verse 7 and 9. Now, when the first word was used in Matthew, nothing had to be ha no nothing had to happen between the time and Jesus saying it is at hand. It's because it's happening. No events had to happen. The one in First Peter, many events had to happen before that at hand event happens. Are you following? Now look at James chapter five, verse seven. Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Behold, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is what? At hand. Do not come, but be patient as you look forward to it. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, that you yourselves may not be, ju may not be judged. Now notice this. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. Whenever I read this, I always remember a little comedian. What was his name? The judge is coming, the judge is coming. You remember that one? Flip, Flip Wilson, right. You all, anybody remember Flip Wilson? Yeah. The judge is coming, the judge is coming. That's what Peter's saying. The judge is coming. But where is he? He's at hand. What does it mean? This version says he's right at the door. 
The Berkeley version says, see, the judge has stationed himself at the door. And I like that. That's the idea of the eminent return of Jesus Christ. The idea appears to be that Jesus has taken his place at the door of the rapture. His hand is on the knob of the door of the rapture. He hasn't opened it yet, but he could, he could open it at any time. And once the door of the rapture is opened, it happens instantaneously, right away. And that's one of the truths you must remember when we talk about the end time things. When Jesus says, I come speedily, he doesn't mean that he's coming right now, quickly. He means that when these events happen, they're going to happen quickly, fast, boom, 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 just like that. So the idea of the eminent return of Jesus Christ is that he's right at the door, his hand is on the doorknob, but he hasn't opened it to walk through yet. But it could happen at any moment. That's the concept or the idea of the eminent return of Jesus Christ. Jesus could come at any moment. His coming for his bride is the next prophetic event related to the church. No sign has to be fulfilled. So when we get this idea, when we try to preach about wars and rumors of wars and all of these things to tell us, that means that the rapture is near. No, that's not true. No signs are given in relation to the rapture. Now, we could say, well, if these things happening, and we know that the signs of the second coming, well, that means that the coming of Jesus Christ is much closer. That's not true. It's always been the same. His hand has always been on the door. He could open it at any moment. Do not attach any kind of signs, events, to the coming of Jesus Christ for his bride. And therefore, to say that the rapture is eminent means that he could come at any moment. The idea is that when he comes, he's coming instantaneously. Now, here's something else that is not normally understood or appreciated. In fact, I don't think I've heard it preached too long, too much. That means it might be a sign that I'm preaching heresy. Isn't that true? If you preach something that hasn't been preached before, maybe it's heresy. Well, tell me if you think this is heresy or not. The rapture was a belief that Paul held way back in his time. And that leads up to what I want to talk about. Let me read you a passage of scripture. 1 Corinthians 15. Behold, I tell you a mystery, mystery, we shall not all sleep. That's Paul's word for death of the believer. But we shall all be changed. Notice now, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. What is the twinkling of an eye? It's quicker than the blink of an eye. The twinkling of an eye is described as when the light hits the retina. That's a twinkling of an eye. Can you measure it? No. That's how fast, how quick it's going to happen. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible. Now notice what he says, and we shall be changed. That's not an editorial we. Paul is speaking about himself. He's including himself in those who will be alive at the coming of Jesus Christ. And so the apostle is distinguishing between two groups be found at the Lord's return, the dead and the living. He puts himself in the midst of the living. He believed that he would be alive. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15. 
this expectation of Paul is even more strongly expressed in this verse. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. Now when you see that in scripture, that means that Paul himself has gotten this directly from God, from Jesus Christ. It's a direct revelation. Remember Paul called himself an apostle what? Out of, out of time, due time, abnormal. Jesus appeared to him at many, in fact we just had the, the Lord's Supper. The order of the Lord's Supper was given directly to Paul by word of revelation. Read the passage and see that is true. Notice what he says. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Now the Greek construction makes it very clear and emphatic, in fact, that Paul is not talking simply about those who are alive at the rapture. But he's talking about those who will survive until the rapture. See the difference? He's not only talking about those who will be alive at the rapture, but he's talking about those who will be alive or going unto the rapture, until the rapture. He expresses the same expectation that he and his contemporary Christians will remain alive until Jesus Christ comes. In other words, I say again, the rapture is eminent. Now here is the truth that is often overlooked. The rapture is already in process. The first stage has already taken place. There are two stages to the rapture of the church. And I put quotes around the rapture. I'll tell you why. The rapture of the church began with the rapture of the head of the church. Who's that? Jesus Christ. He was raised. We call it a resurrection. That's the rapture. The rapture is the resurrection of the saints. Jesus has already been raised. The head of the church has already been raised. Notice what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who sleep. He didn't say the first fruit of those who sleep and who are alive. Right or wrong? The first fruit of those who sleep. <clears throat> in other words, the first fruit of those who have died in Christ. That's what he's saying. Who are the first fruits? Jesus Christ. Who are those who are asleep? It's the Christians who have died and whose bodies will be changed, transformed like that of Jesus Christ. Now here, Paul is specifically relating his resurrection, or rather that's Jesus' resurrection, with that of believers who will have died because he himself had died and received a glorified body. Jesus Christ died and he was buried, right or wrong. He went to sleep. He was resurrected. His body was transformed. Isn't that right? Yes, he was. The first fruit. In other words, we're going to be just like him. Notice now. <clears throat> he is saying that his resurrection is not merely a foreshadow of the resurrection of believers who die believing in him, but it's an actual example of it. 
I want you to understand that we are in the process. We're not looking forward to the end times to happen, to occur. We are in the process already. It's already started with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, head of the church. Now look at verse 23 in the same passage, 1 Corinthians 15, 23. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Verse 23, after that, those who are Christ. Now he goes one step further. He says, those who are Christ. So he's including now also who? Those who are alive. After that, those who are Christ that is coming refers to the church, his bride. The point I'm making here is that the rapture has already began. It began with the resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. The only difference is that at our rapture, Jesus himself will be the one to call us to himself. Well, the Bible talks about at least three resurrections, the more, but three resurrections concerning a topic. Let me let you look at them. John chapter 5, verse 26. <clears throat> the two general resurrections referred to in this passage. For just as the Father has, li has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he's a son of man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs shall hear his voice, and they shall come forth, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Now, many people have the idea that these two judgments or resurrections will happen at the same time. That's not true. The thousands of years between these, uh, between these resurrections, it's a long time. These two resurrections do not occur at the same time. The resurrection to life and the resurrection of judgment. These are two different judgments. Look at Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. And I saw a throne, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark upon their forehead and upon their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. There's one thousand years between. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. That's what we believe is the millennium period. Now notice very carefully. These resurrected martyrs were raised because they were killed during the Great Tribulation, but they were raised to share in the millennium reign with Jesus Christ. They were the final stage of the resurrection unto life. They were the final stage of the resurrection unto life. Jesus, as head of the church, was the beginning of the first resurrection, the resurrection unto life. The rapture of the church will be the second. 
the resurrection, the rapture of the church, will be the second phase of the first resurrection or the resurrection unto life. Now, one of the questions that comes up here, and I'm not going to answer it because I don't know the answer, is that these raised martyrs of the Great Tribulation, will they be a part of the church or not? See, those who, like us, are so-called dispensationalists, they know the church ends when? At the rapture. They say that the church is made up of people who believe in Christ from the day of Pentecost, A.D. 33, to the rapture. We don't know when. Now, these folk, these martyr saints who were raised to reign with Christ in the millennium, they are outside then, on the other side of the rapture. Are they a part of the church or not? Or are they go back to be a part of Israel? That seems the best explanation. But they are caught up anyway in this first resurrection, the resurrection unto life. Some people say no. Those martyred saints could be just like the Apostle Paul. He was an apostle out of order. He was born an abnormal apostle. Right? Because he saw Christ after he had died. The others saw him before, and so on. Well, they say this could, seem, could be the same of the martyred saints. They could be a part of the church who came abnormally afterwards. I like that explanation, but I still don't buy it completely yet. I'm working with it. It's quite interesting, though. But the point is, this resurrection unto life, in two stages at least, three stages we know of, but we are part of the second. Jesus is the first. I want you to get the idea then. Jesus is not the only one who's standing with his hand on the rapture door. We as believers are standing next in line and wondering when our name is going to be called. You understand what I'm saying? It's already started. I want you to get that in your mind. Don't say, I'm looking forward to the coming. It's already started. The process is already, in, already ongoing. We are just waiting for our name to be called. And then we'll be with him. Fantastic. Now, let's go on. Look at verse 24 in 1 Corinthians 15. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, verse 23. After that, those who are Christ at his coming, now verse 24. Then comes the end. I want you to see the sequence here. When he delivers up the kingdom to God the Father, when he has abolished all rule and authority and power. That's what we'll be talking about tonight, perhaps. When Jesus comes to set up his kingdom on earth and do away with all those who oppose him. But I want you to notice in the text here, between the after that of the rapture and the then comes the end, many events will occur. The martyred saints, the great tribulation will be raised. Also the Old Testament saints will be raised. Tribulation will come. The millennium will come. The Antichrist and all those, all those events will happen before this last one. He says here, when he delivers up the kingdom to God the Father, when, whom he has when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. Many events have to happen between the rapture and that event. And we'll be talking about that in other messages. 
So, but here's an overview. You know, those who believe in dispensationalism like to use charts. Here's an overview. And I'm not going to go through it. Just take a look at it here. We'll talk more about these events in the coming messages. But here are some other pertinent facts concerning the rapture I want you to get. First, the fact of the rapture. We are sure it's going to happen, those of us who believe in it. Look at John chapter 14, beginning at verse 1. Jesus speaking. Do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. The King James says mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. Now notice the phrase. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And notice this tremendous statement. And receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. So here is possibly the first reference in the New Testament to the rapture. It gives the idea that Jesus Christ, the head of the church at his resurrection, has gone to prepare a place for us in his father's house. And he's taken over 2,000 years to do that. Jesus must have been a Bahamian. (laughs) He must have been. Taken a long time to do this job. Now, really, I believe he's just doing a good job. Perfect job. Over 2,000 years. But he says, I will come to receive you unto myself. Now, here's another sure fact. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise for us. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. That's a sure, certain fact. Amen. Let's look now at the purpose of the rapture. The purpose is selective. The fact is sure. The purpose is selective. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51, he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. He's coming to translate the church, his bride. He's coming to receive his bride. He's going to blast us off to glory. The Bible says that Jesus was raised from the dead with what? The power of what? The power of God. He acts with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's power. When we are raised, we're going to be raised with that same power. And you might think that our satellites, what we have here, these spaceships have a lot of power when they lift off, blast off. But you ain't saying nothing yet. When Jesus Christ comes and he puts his hand on that button, 10, 9, Eight, seven, what comes after that? Six, five, four, three, two. Blast off to glory on an instant. Instantaneously. 
we're in his presence, the body has changed, and we'll be just like him. Amen? I was going to put that movie up again, but the last time I gave Chris a heart attack, so I won't play that anymore. All right? Remember the movie there where the preacher was preaching about it? He's talking about he could come in and he'd bang! People had a heart attack, so I wouldn't do that anymore. He's coming to receive, to translate the church. He's also coming to remove, his coming will also remove the hinderer, the one who's hindering the man of sin from going all out against Christ. That's in, that's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 6. That's when all hell will break loose. After the church is raptured, the Holy Spirit who indwells the church, we, the salt of the earth and the light of the world, is going to be removed. And we go back to the time it was in Genesis chapter 6. The time, the days of Noah. Sin will be rampant. The evil one will think that he has only one. But we know that's not true. He comes to translate the church. He comes to remove the hinderer. Let's look at the character of the rapture. Characteristics. It'll be a surprise, to say the least. It'll be sudden. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. We cannot describe it. We cannot define it. It's going to be quick. It's going to be fast. Instantaneous. But not only will it be sudden, it will also be selective. Not everybody is going to be beamed up. The dead in Christ will rise first, Paul says. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. He's very specific. Who, who are going to be received? Who are going to be beamed up? Those who are alive in Christ and those who have died in Christ. That's all. If you want room on this spaceship, you've got to pick up the free ticket purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. But you've got to pick it up. You've got to acknowledge that you're a sinner. You have to acknowledge that you deserve to be separated from God. You have to acknowledge that Jesus died in your place on Calvary's cross and that he was raised for your justification. And you have to place your faith, your trust in Christ alone as the basis of your salvation. That's the only way you could get on this spaceship. It's the only way that you can be included in this group who will blast off to glory. Now let's look quickly at the results of the rapture. I have to use all S's here, so it's stupendous. The results are stupendous. I spent more time looking for these S's than I didn't appear in the message. The results are stupendous. First of all, the resurrection of sleeping saints. That's why he wrote First uh, Thessalonians 4. That's another place where he said that he got it by the word of the Lord. Jesus Christ appeared specifically to Paul to tell him about the condition of those who have died in Christ so the people will be comforted. Jesus has so much care for us in times of difficulty that he actually appeared to Paul just to let them know that the saints do not have to be concerned about those who have died in him. That's how the passage ends. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. 
those of our loved ones who have placed faith in Jesus Christ, they too, their bodies will be raised. Their bodies are asleep. Their spirit, their souls are not asleep. They're, in, they're enjoying the presence of God right now. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But you know, and listen carefully to this, I don't want to die. To be with Christ. I look at that as a halfway house. Now, it's a glorious halfway house. But you know what the de final destiny is? The resurrection of the body. Glorified, transformed. To be just like Jesus. And our spirit, our soul, united to our body. Perfect, complete. Our humanity, again, is what God devised it to be all along. And we'll be right in his presence. Not in a temporary body, as some believe it would be when, for those who have died. But yet, listen, do not believe like those who believe that when you go to the grave, you forget nothing. Is, you don't think about nothing. You don't remember nothing. And you have no contact. No, 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 no. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's why, please, please, when you lose a loved one, watch out how you cry and wail to bring them back. They won't come back. <laughs> they won't come back. And that's being mean. Leave Jesus and you're worshiping him and, and just enjoy. Leave all that and come back down here with us and go through all of this sin and suffering and pain. Believers, listen. Have we really... Believe what we say we believe. Our actions at those times will be different. That's why I'm still planning, just in case I die, my party. We can have a party. Trying to decide whether you should have Chinese or how Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> Trying to decide how Chinese or Kentucky Fried Chicken. I'm not sure. But we have to rejoice in that. We have to be glad and happy. Yes, we're going to miss them. But listen, don't let's be selfish and only think about our missing. Let's remember that they are enjoying. They are enjoying the presence of God. And when unbelievers see you responding like that, that could cause them to come to Jesus Christ. Because that's where our Christianity hits the road. But then it will be the transformation of living things. Philippians 3.21. He says, He will transform the body of our humble state into the conformity with the body of His glory. Now, with some of you guys, he's got to do a big job with that one. But he ain't going to have too much trouble with me. <laughs> Marguerite, look at me. Besides Frank, you see anybody so handsome? <laughs> I'm saying that because, because Marguerite one day said, Frankie is the best dressed, best looking man in this church. <laughs> but listen, he's going to transform us. Notice what it says. Who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. 
His glory. His glory. They're not going to look the way Christ looked when he was on earth. His glory was hidden. His glory was veiled. It was tabernacled in human flesh. But when we are glorified, the way he is glorified, we are going to represent and we are going to radiate his glory. That's going to be glory then. Notice what it says. Who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has, that he has even to subject all things to himself. Jesus has all power. He's omnipotent. And he's going to exert that power to transform us to be just like him in his glorified state. And no one or nothing can stop it. No one in heaven, no one on earth, no one in hell can stop this from happening. It will be done. And notice what happens on this. All the church goes up, and then we will be forever with the Lord. Now, it's very important to understand what the word forever means in Greek. Do you know what it means? Forever. That's what it means. We are going to receive, in fact, we have received eternal life already. But our eternal life, this is why we always got to distinguish between ourselves and God. We are the sons of God, but we are not God, like some people claim. All right? With God, He always had eternal life. Isn't that right? Always. And we'll continue to go on. But with us, we don't receive eternal life until we place faith in Christ. And then from that point on, we have eternal life. That's what I call, what do I call that? What kind of eternal life is that? You're one of my students now, come on. God has an eternal life that separates him from everyone because he's always had it. Those who place faith in Christ have eternal life, but we have a beginning. That eternal life has a beginning, and, but no ending. Time-bound, thank you. Time-bound eternity, meaning that we receive the eternal life of God when we receive Christ. However, we didn't have it always, but now it goes on from that point forever. That's what it means here. Forever with the Lord. There will never be any moment, any second of our lives from that point on in which we will not experience the presence of God. Nevermore. We're going to be talking about heaven. And you're going to see that's one of the beautiful things. God comes to live amongst his people again in a way that he's never done before. And we will be with him forever and ever and ever and ever. This is what Paul calls the realization of the blessed hope. 
This is the blessed hope. And that's what we should all be looking for. Stop looking for the Antichrist. Look for the blessed hope. Look for the blessed hope. Look for the coming of our Savior to receive us unto himself. And remember, it could happen at any moment. You know the song? I don't know who the author is, but you sung it, I believe. If we never meet again on this earth, my precious friend, but if in Christ we believe and upon his death depend, then for us there'll be a meeting. Friends and loved ones will be greeting. I'll see you in the rapture some sweet day. Oh yes, I'll see you in the rapture. See you in the rapture. I'll see you at that meeting in the air. And there with our blessed Savior, we live and reign forever. I'll see you in the rapture some sweet day. To my loved ones, let me say that there'll surely come a day when our Lord will come again and take his bride away. So get ready now to meet him with a hallelujah and greet him. I'll see you in the rapture some sweet day. But that's only possible if you're rapture ready. And you can only be rapture ready by receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior. Bow with me in a word of prayer. Just a few moments of reflection before we receive a benevolent offering today, and we encourage you to give liberally with that. But if you're here and you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, we invite you to do that today. Do not give hope to a second chance after the rapture. Your hope is right now, today, this moment. Not even tonight, but right now is the day of salvation. Open your life to him right now. Place faith in him as your savior. Acknowledge that you're a sinner, that he died for you. That God raised him from the dead as a validation of the fact that he received his death on your behalf. And let him know that you're ready for the rapture.